Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our Associate Pastor for Leadership Development, Dr. Michael Wright. When we think about community outreach, we should think about Jesus Christ, who is the greatest example of community outreach. He left the palace of heaven and he came to the community called the world, the earth. And there he lived and there he changed lives and, and in the community of the, the world, the earth, the planet, he died died on the cross, the atoning blood that he shed there made it, made it possible for people to be saved. He died, he went into the grave, he rose again, he is, and, then, and then days later he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then he sent to the church, to his people, the Holy Spirit, to indwell them so that they might become proclaimers of the story of Jesus Christ. So the work that Jesus performed by coming from, from heaven to earth is the, greatest, is the greatest act of community outreach the world has ever seen. And now, as his followers, he directs us to now do the same, to leave what is comfortable and to leave what we, we consider to be what we're familiar with, and you go do the work of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Now, the greatest example of God in context is Jesus. But here in the 21st century, having received the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the greatest example of God in context is not just God has come to the world, but that Christ is in our hearts. Because he is in our hearts, we are now equipped with the power to proclaim the good news about Christ. That while the wor world is, is, uh, is captured by the dominion of the enemy and of sin, we can break through the gates of hell proclaim the gospel, and lead people out of that place where they are caught in their sin, the dominion of sin, the domain of sin. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Jesus declared that he would do this work and for the last 2,000 years that is exactly what he has been doing, building his church. The church launched on the day of Pentecost. We see that in Acts chapter 2. We see that Peter preached the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people were saved. What a, what a marvelous launch. What a, what a tremendous beginning to the life of the church. And because of, of the Lord indwelling those believers with the Spirit of God, they went out in many various ways, but they went out in, into the other cities, into the other communities, 
in that known part of the world and they began to proclaim the gospel. And as people surrendered their life to Christ, then they began to plant churches, train believers, and they began to multiply themselves everywhere that they went. You see, the church today is made up of redeemed people. If you are not redeemed, you might be in the church, but you are not of it. And that is a problem. But the way you join the church is you don't join the church by signing a card. You join the church when Christ signs his signature across and inside of your heart. And when he is inside of you, then you become a part of the church, big C, global church. You are a Christian. And then you are directed then to, to attach yourself to a local church like this church, First Baptist Church, Keller. And we meet at 225 Keller Parkway, Keller, Texas, 76248. That's, that is where we meet this morning. When someone asks me from time to time, they'll do this, where is your church? I often say, what day of the week are you talking about? Because on Sunday, a lot of us gather at 225 Keller Parkway, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we could be at, at, the, at any number of other addresses, at home, at school, at work, or even in the world beyond if we've got a mission team out on the field, which we do 12 months of the year normally. That's because God's church was not meant to be church just here. God's church was meant to be God's church everywhere. And so God's church is made up of redeemed people and it is the responsibility of the redeemed to glorify God and proclaim the saving and sanctifying work of Jesus Christ. When we proclaim the gospel, God's people, that's you, that's me, God's people become a powerful influence on the community and in the culture. So allow me, if you will, to share with you a biblical foundation for reaching the community and changing the culture for the cause of Christ. Did you know that we have about a, a, a 2,000 people that meet here on the weekends on a regular basis? We have about 13 to 1,400 people each and every week but not every one of those 13 to 1400 people come every week. It seems that, that, that the church tag teams, that some are here on this Sunday and then some don't come and there are others here the next Sunday. And when you look at it overall, there's about 2000 regular people that come and gather together in God's church for worship and Bible study. They are old and they are young and they are everything in between. When I, when I think about how many people are involved, I think about, about the students. And everyone from a student age on up is about seven or 800 or even 900 people. Think about that. If 900 people who regularly gather here on the weekend were regular sharers of the gospel on the weekdays, what do you think would happen to God's church? First of all, God would be pleased. He would smile at His church, would He not? Because that is exactly what He's called us to do. 
But then we would have to decide, are we going to prepare for a harvest? Are we ready to share the gospel that many times? I don't know how many times we share the gospel as a church. I wish I had those numbers, but let me throw this at you. Let's say that we share the gospel in our community and into our culture about a thousand times a month. So that's 12,000 times a year. Let's just say that's happening. But we decided that those 900, if they would share regularly every week, or let's just say it's a thousand, would do that every week. Share with at least one admitted lost person a week. A thousand people doing that. Young and old, students and adults, uh, and they're all adults, but they're all, all, they all did this. Well, we know that would be 52,000 presentations of the gospel. Do you know where we're going with this? Would God be pleased with that? Telling his story here and there and hither and yon, everywhere. And how many people would come to Christ as a result? That is in God's hands. But I'm going to guess that God would give to his church new converts to train, to train them up to become great, powerful, multiplying, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. We would have to be ready for that. The question is, are we ready for that? Well, we have a biblical foundation for it. When we look at how God even made man, he's, God, the Lord says in Genesis 1.26, let us, that is the Trinity, God, one God expressed in three persons, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God is a multiplying God. He was saying, let's make a man who's going to have all these powerful intellectual, relational, emotional, physical, and spiritual capacities. He's not going to be God, but he's going to act as a representation of God in the world. He is going to be a multiplying human being in his home life, in his work life. Everywhere he goes, he's going to multiply. You see, you and I were created... In the image of God, and we have been given God's divine DNA to be multipliers. In fact, when we do not multiply, when we are not fruitful at home, at work, and in every area of our life, we're actually not, we are working against the very purpose for which God made us. And so we have to at least stop and ask, are we being fruitful and multiplying people of God? That's number one. Number two, we know the great commandment. You all know this very well. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31, Jesus said the most important, he's talking about the most important commandment. A lawyer asked him this question, what is the most important? And Jesus said the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he goes on to say the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these. Jesus said these are the two. All the other commands flow out of the great commandment. To love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love people as you would yourself. That is, that is the purpose for which you were made. 
I'm going to guess that, that there, are, there are those in this room who, who are trying to live halfway for the Lord and perhaps halfway for themselves. You were not constructed to do that. The machinery of your life does not work that way. You will hopefully not have to find it out. Hopefully you'll read God's word and you'll see that is not how God wants you to live and you repent and you surrender everything to the Lord. But if you continue to try to live that way, the machinery of your life breaks down and you end up having tremendously, uh, tremendously difficult consequences. You are made to love God and to love people and to, and to be a fruitful, multiplying human being. Thirdly, we see the Great Commission, and you all know this commission. You know it well. We talk about it all the time. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in, he in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is all power. I have the authority to tell you this. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples. Of all the nations. The nations means people groups. We have a various number of people groups right here in this room this morning as a result of the gospel. He says, go to all the nations. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. The Lord laid it all out. He said, go and make disciples. With what? Go and make disciples with the story of Jesus Christ. What is the story of Jesus Christ? It's the good news. It's the gospel. In one sense, we could say the whole entire word of God is the gospel. In another, we could be more particular and say the life story of Jesus and what he did on the cross is the gospel. And we're to know it and to share it. The challenge is, is that we are to reach our community with this gospel. In other words, we're in here, but there are more people out there than there are in here. There are more people not in church this morning than are in church to worship the Lord. And the Lord says that is our concern because it is His concern. And to be obedient and multiplying and fruitful followers of Jesus Christ, we must then respond to the Lord's concern and see people the way God sees people as potential followers of Christ. I'm going to guess that no one would have imagined the Apostle Paul would become a great and mighty follower of Christ and write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He was a man who, who was out to kill Christians, not join them. And yet he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he is forever changed. And he goes from Saul, the Christian killer, to Paul, the gospel proclaimer. Only God could do something like that. And so we need to see the people around us with that potential. That if we reach this person for Christ and they come to the Lord, they could make a tremendous difference in the community of the body of Christ. But we have a challenge of reaching them. Let me, do, let me share with you what the challenge is by describing community and culture very quickly. First of all, community. Let me define that for you. It is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Now the community then describes a place. And we're going to take the gospel to a place. Some of us live in Keller. Some of us live in the region around Keller. South Lake or, or Fort Worth or 
Justin or any other places that you might have come from, and when you live in this region, it is a place. You do not live uh, in Europe. Well, maybe someone does here. Perhaps you're visiting here today. We welcome you. But, but, but most of you do not live somewhere else. You live here. By the sovereign design of God, you live here. And God says, because you live in this place, I want you to claim the place for the ongoing of the sharing of the story of Jesus Christ. So that's the community. And by the way, just living in the community does not transform the community. Just meeting here today doesn't change the community. What changes the community is the story of Christ. I have neighbors to my left. I have neighbors to my right. I have neighbors across the street. Just living on Huffman Bluff does not change my neighbor. I have to do something more. Two, community is also a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes and interests and goals. That is why we can call First Baptist Keller a community because we have shared attitudes about who Jesus is. We have a shared view of the world. We have a shared uh, interest in, in studying the Word of God and singing worship songs. And we have goals that we're setting up for ourselves for the next year. We have this shared idea, and that's community. But there's something that's deeper than community, and it's called culture. You see, culture has to do with attitudes, ideas, and behaviors of a particular group, a particular social group. Attitudes has to do with way pe- the way people think. And then as a result of how people think or view the world, then they behave in that particular way. It is that, that, that is in that area where the gospel is needed most. Let me explain in, in a, with a very simple illustration, as quickly as I can. In front of, of where uh, Natalie and I live is a, is a street that has a stop sign. Now, my office has a window at home. My office has a window. I can see outside to the, where that intersection is, and this one stop sign is there. And from time to time, I'll look up and see a car coming down the road. And I, I, I'll admit, I'm watching to see if they stop at the stop sign. Are you like that? Anybody like that? Anybody get irritated when people don't obey the law? And that means they get irritated at you too then. And so I'm watching that. And I'm realizing that how people, you see, how people view the need or the symbol of that stop sign is how they'll respond. You see, rules, culture, culture uh, overrules, if you will, rules and policies, do's and don'ts. Did you know that? The way someone sees the world always over, overrides, it, it trumps, if you will, the idea of rules and regulations, of laws and that kind of thing. So when someone comes to a stop sign and they pass right through it, what they're saying is, the stop sign is not for me. The stop sign is for someone else. The stop sign is to give the, the police officer something to do if, if someone goes through that stop sign. But it doesn't actually mean stop. In fact, some of you coming here this morning, you, you were confronted by... A green light, a yellow light, and perhaps a red light. And we all know what those mean. Green means go. We teach our kids that when they're young. Red means stop. 
and yellow means go faster, right? We, we all know that. Now, we know that that's not what it means, but our culture would say, oh, yeah, that's really what it means. And we're giving ourselves permission to go ahead and try to make the light. Culture, that is the way someone views the world, always trumps laws. So we can talk all we want to about laws. And by the way, we need laws. It's a part of how we keep our, our culture and keep our communities safe. And, and we try to enforce those laws with, with law enforcement. But the true conforming to law doesn't come from making a law. It comes according to the attitude of the one who's supposed to keep that law. That is why we can talk all day about Ten Commandments to our community. But it will not change the community. We can say this is right and this is wrong. This is white and this is black. This is light and this is darkness. We can explain that all day long. But until someone's, the culture of someone's heart is transformed, they will not adhere to it. By the way, some of us still have struggles, even as a Christian, adhering to the laws of the Lord. And we know that it is not a law problem. It is a heart issue. So when we talk about reaching our community, we must talk about reaching the culture that lives in the community. And if you don't know what the culture really is all about, what the attitudes, ideas, and behaviors are, all you have to do is go to the, to go to the coffee shops. Just listen to people talk in the, in, the, in the lines at the grocery store. Just meet people, talk to them. Ask your neighbor that's lost and doesn't know the Lord, what do you think about church? What do you, and they're going to say, we don't need to go to church. There's no law in their heart that tells them to gather with other believers. Why? Because the culture of their heart doesn't say that. We actually have this big, huge, wide gap between Christian and culture. How did that happen? Well, quickly, let me just explain it to you. One, we know it happened because, because there was at one time in our world a, a general belief about God. Even in the United States, there was this general belief about God. But, but people began to despair about the reality of God. And so we saw in our history in the history of philosophy, for example, the, the view about God began to change, especially in the United States back in the 1930s or so. And people began to frame God differently and frame His reality differently, even to the point that they would say, maybe there isn't even a God. So we see that philosophy has made a difference in, in our world. That's why we have to be careful about sending our kids to college or university, because philosophies... Strange philosophies, anti-God philosophies even, are being taught in our universities. Then we see, we see in art how things have changed. If you go to the, the Kimball Art Museum, for example, right here in Fort Worth, you might see a, a painting of Picasso. Those of you who are familiar with his artwork, you'll, you'll know that he has a very, very uh, 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 disconnected view of the world. He had one a very disconnected view of the world where, where you might paint a person's face, only the eye would be up here and the nose down here and the hand over here and it's all discombobulated. But what we learn from someone like him and others who tried to copy him is this belief that the world is discombobulated, that there is no God of order. 
The Impressionists felt the same way. That's why when you see Impressionism art, you don't see straight lines and you don't see defined faces. Everything is kind of looking through a, a foggy piece of glass. Because during that time, there was this question of, is there a God? Is there not a God? And if God, if there is a God, is he, is he concretely and objectively involved in our lives? And so we look at the art and we learn that, hey, this is, these are some of the thoughts that were going on with artists in those days. How about music? Music tells us the, how life is, should be expressed. And I don't even want to spend much time on that. I'll just say, I don't listen to secular music. And when I do uh, listen to music that I guess you would call secular, I, it would be orchestrated music, and I make up my own words and thoughts and whatever I want to do there. But we know that the current culture of music, especially the lost culture, it does not care about the things of the Lord. And I know that I know we have students, we have young people, perhaps maybe even older people here that you do listen to all manner of music. And all I would say to you is be on guard to what you are hearing, because they are giving you an espoused understanding of how they view the world. And if you and if you're not careful, because music is powerful, you'll find yourself singing the mantras of the lost world. And you were not made to sing the mantras of the lost world. You were made to sing the great magnificent name of Jesus Christ. That's what you were made for. And then there's culture itself. We saw the culture over time since the 30s, especially here in America, change and how people live changes. We've gone to keeping our houses uh, unlocked and open back in the, you know, in the 30s and maybe even in the 40s. Maybe you grew up in a town like that. To, to today, people pull up into their homes. Their garage door opens by an electric uh, machine. They go in and it closes never to see the neighbor again until the next day. Very isolated, discombobulated, Picasso-like type of living. So the culture is different. And by the way, if we're not careful, theology is usually, it's usually the last thing to change, but it has changed. You end up with people who, who have come from different, a different foundation of understanding of theology, the Word of God, and they might begin to espouse things that are not in the Word or take the words of God and twist the words of God to mean something that God never meant. That does happen. That is why we so appreciate uh, the, the Word of God, and we need to continue to hold up high our view of Scripture in our culture. We don't need to change the theology for our culture. What we need to do is proclaim the gospel, the theology of the gospel to our culture. Why do I say that? Because of this. The Apostle Paul said that he did not come to baptize or just baptize, but he came to preach the gospel. He said this in 1 Corinthians verse 1 and verse 7, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. He says he didn't come with eloquent words of wisdom. In other words, he didn't say that I'm going to use the, the wonderful, glassy, glossed over words of the Greeks to proclaim the gospel. And he said this. Now listen. He said, the reason I don't use, I don't use this, this eloquent wisdom or this eloquent speech is because if I do, I might empty the power of the gospel. Someone might hear my eloquence and completely miss the true message of Jesus Christ. 
So the Apostle Paul committed himself to be a straightforward teacher and speaker of the Word of God. We learn from Jesus. We learn from the Apostle Paul and the other apostles that the answer for the community and the answer to a corrupt culture is not trying to be like culture, but to simply proclaim the powerful, life-changing words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He didn't say it was the glossy speech, the glassy speech that transforms. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jewish culture as well as to the Greek culture. So how shall we engage the community and culture for the cause of Christ? Now I'm going to admit to you, when I was given this subject today, I immediately knew I can't get to everything. And I can only get to maybe a few suggestions. And as we go along, you know what? We're going to have to trust the Lord about how we engage the best way as we go along. But, but we are going to do this with God's help. But let me make some suggestions to you. You see, we cannot transform the non-Christian community and culture with unbiblical methods. Now that doesn't mean we can't use preferential methodology to reach the world for Christ. I mean, we can have picnics outdoors and invite our neighbors to come in, but the purpose would be so that we might proclaim the gospel. We're going to have our Easter overflow services. We're going to have three services at Easter. We're going to have an overflow service, and, and we're praying about doing a sunrise service this year. I might have more to say about that in the weeks to come. But if we do, that's, that's, that's preferential. But we use... Our, our preferential methodologies to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're not going to be unbiblical. We're not going to use a lost, a lost method to try to reach lost people. The answer is to saturate the community and culture with the saving power of Christ. That is why we're going to continue to preach and teach as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit and as people are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you seven things that I've thought of. And I'm going to do this quickly. And we're going to come back and, and elucidate, uh, illuminate this a little bit more as we go along. One, first of all, the thing we need to do as believers, we need to open our eyes and see what God sees in our culture and community. We cannot bury our head in the sand. We cannot build a theological wall around this place and say, there, now we're safe. No, God did not call us to sit and soak and stay secure in our building. But to see the world as God sees it, and God says, there's the world. It's white unto harvest. The harvesters are few. Go and make disciples. Two, we, we can equip every church leader and member to know and share the gospel. Now, leadership development is the other end of my role. I've been given these, the title Associate Pastor for Community Outreach and Leadership Development. I tried to make an acrostic out of it, but it just didn't work. C-O-L-D, Associate Pastor for Cold. <laughs> I wish it could have been hot or something like that. I'm just glad it's not lukewarm. But it is our desire as your pastors and other leaders to make sure every leader, every influencer in our church knows the gospel and it can share it and does share it. Why? Because those influencers are the greatest 
have the greatest power uh, in themselves, that is the Holy Spirit, and have the Word of God to share it. Now, but that doesn't, that does not abdicate each member because every member is responsible as well. So every member, that is going to be one of the things we're going to try to do. That is why we set up Share Jesus Without Fear. And I want to thank the 205 who have already said we're going to be a part of that training. We want to train and equip everyone with this powerful tool, the gospel. Three, we want to prepare for the harvest of souls. If I could speak directly for a moment to our leaders, like directors, teachers, committee members, deacons, I would say this. If we went out and shared the gospel 10,000 times this year, we should expect then that God would bless His church with new converts, follower, new young followers of Jesus Christ. Are we ready for them? Are you looking for them, director? Do you have the open chair ready to go in your classroom? Or does everybody have their claim to place in the room? Don't sit here. This is my space. And I, I, look, I see you enough to know that, yeah, that, okay, yeah, they sit over there. And yeah, they sit there. Oh, look, they sit there. And whoa, if somebody sits in someone's place. Let's agree together from this very beginning that if we're going to be this aggressive with the gospel, that there is no space that we claim as our own. We are, we're interested in glorifying God and making room for the new person that is going to come within the body of Christ. Prepare for the harvest of souls. Spiff up the baptistry. Let's get volunteers who will help people in the baptistry. Let's make sure that we've thought about how we're greeting and how we're, how we're taking people in. Again, I'll give more meat on those bones in, later on. Four, we can invite lost and unchurched people to worship Christ and learn about the Lord in Bible study groups. That's why I would encourage, again, I know I'm talking about Bible studies, Jack's area, but I would say, listen, make sure you're spending as much of the hours as possible in total Bible teaching time to not use it to talk about the sports team or the most recent events. Or you Do that, but limit it to like, you know, 30 seconds and then move on. Pray for each other. Then open up the Word and be serious about the Word. When guests come into our church, what we want them to see are, are serious, sober-minded believers, uh, and they see the high view of the transformative work of the Scriptures. When we come together and sing, and by the way, you sang so wonderfully this morning, church. Thank you for doing that. When we bring lost people in to sit next to us, what we want them to see is a are people who have transformed hearts, who are worshiping a God who's a great and mighty God. And when they see that we're worshiping a great and mighty God, they may go, there might be a God who's alive. I've always wondered if there was. And now I've met people who believe there is. And they study the word with such compassion and such power. And their lives are different. I want that as God speaks to them. Five, we want to engage the community and culture with the gospel through community events. And we do lots of events, and we should always use those. Make sure they're gospel-centered. Six, we're going to keep the proclamation of the gospel and the teaching of God's word central to the life and work of the church. That has never, has never not been and is not going to change now. And by the way, that should be true of your home and your work as well. And number seven, and finally, we're going to do the work of planting the gospel as we share it. That's planting it. 
Then we're gonna water that field with prayers of faith for those that we shared it with. And we're gonna expect God to transform lives and bring good and godly growth because that is what God does. Remember, going back to Genesis, God is a fruitful and multiplying God. If we join him in his field called community and we are impacting the world called culture, then God is going to be pleased. He's gonna add people to his church and he would be pleased with us when we expect him to do great and godly things in the lives of those who've been changed. Remember this, Jesus said, I will build my church. This is his church, this is not ours. That is not your pew. That is not your classroom. This is God's church. And we are God's people. And we are to share Jesus without fear. The true gospel is carried from here where we meet at 225 Keller Parkway and go there to whatever address you find yourself. I love that song that says, Open my eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch Him. To say that we love Him. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Do you want to see Jesus? Jesus is in the gospel. And Jesus is in you. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. Let's pray. Now, Lord, this is not all your word says about outreach to our community and culture, but I pray, Lord, you were, you were pleased with what we shared, at least in this short time together. Now, may we respond in a way that pleases you. For those who, who are already members and they're Christians and they're devoted to Christ, Lord, I pray that they would just simply ask, what more, what something different can I do? What what where area, where, where can I serve? Lord, that they would ask you those kind of questions and you'd speak to their hearts and they, they would obey you. And for those who are Christians but they don't have a church home, that they would come and make this their church home. And for those who are lost, but Lord, you've touched their hearts to see that they can be saved. I pray that, Lord, you'd bring them and that we would rejoice over those who want Christ as their Lord and Savior. Make this happen to your honor and your glory. Lord, we do indeed surrender all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.